0: Okay. Thank you so much. Again, this is week two of getting certified to teach English to medical device companies. Just to review week one was mindset, getting focused. What's your dream? What's your why? Uh, And so with that, I'd like to share a little story in 2012, it was the summer of 2012. I was living in LA at the time, had a great job. I was working at a medical device company uh, called Saint Jude Medical. I had two young children and a third on the way. My wife was pregnant with our daughter Rena. Uh, like I said, my job was getting paid well, and I had just bought a house. We were settled, and you know, life was good. You know, we we're living the life in the states again. Have the house, the kids, great job, and the job also allowed me to travel a lot. I got to travel all over the world. And I also got to, in the job, even though my main job wasn't supporting Japan, it was part of my job. So I got to come to Japan quite a bit and work with Japan a lot. So really some great happy times. But... So this was summer 2012. There was still something deep down inside of me that was itching. I had this itch. I wanted to get back to Japan. I don't know why. Like, what is your why? So I'm like, why do I want to go back to Japan? And even though we were settled down, we had a house, everything, life was good. But I had this calling. Something was calling me back to Japan. I just had this heart for Japanese people, Japanese culture. And so I actually interviewed for a job to come back to Japan. It was another medical device company called Edwards Life Sciences. And they actually made me an offer. And it was a great offer. They were going, of course, the salary was high. They were going to give me a signing bonus. They were going to relocate, pay for all our relocation, come back to Japan. They were going to give me a housing allowance. And they were going to give, pay 50% of private international school for our children sounds like a great deal. Well, I negotiated for more. I wanted more and the negotiations kind of went back and forth a couple of times to the point where I negotiated myself out of the job. So finally the human resources emailed me and said, Chris, sorry, we're going to pull the offer. I'm like, what? I didn't know they could do that, right? Because they had already made me an offer, right? So I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I had a job. No big deal, I thought. And so life went on, right? Well, a month later, so that was July. So I'll never forget the day, August 30th, 2012. It was a Thursday morning. And I got up early, getting ready for work. And I looked at my work email and because you know I'm West Coast, they had made an announcement for the New York Stock Exchange. And the announcement in the email was to our, our division. And it was the company was taking four divisions and integrating them into two divisions. And as a result, there would be all this redundancy in the company. And in the email, they listed all the top executives that got fired or restructured in my division. Head of legal, head of uh, human resources, you know, senior VPs, senior VP, senior VP of marketing. And I was in marketing. Uh, So just top executives. And then at the bottom of the email, it says, and There may be others that you will find out later. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. You know, all these, my boss's boss's boss got fired. So I'm like, hmm, what's going to happen to me? So I look at my wife, I kiss her goodbye. We prayed, go to work. And then within like 20 minutes, one of my colleagues comes up to me. She has a manila envelope. She says, Chris, I just got fired. Like, oh. And if you've ever seen in the movies where people get fired and they walk out with one cardboard box, well, that's what it was. Literally, people, it was like there were zombies. People are walking around with cardboard boxes and leaving. So, what was happening was, Every 15 or 20 minutes or so, uh, a human resources representative and a boss would go to someone's cube and call them away. Uh, What was also interesting is a lot of the director level people weren't there. They didn't come to work that day. So later I found out that they knew they were going to be fired, so they just didn't come to work. And. so I'm thinking as the day's going on, you can't get anything done. You can't get any work done. People are just like walking around. Who's next? Oh, I can't believe they fired that person, right? And then it, it was like, it got to 11 o'clock. And I'm thinking, they're not going to fire me. I'm safe, right? Uh, and then someone comes to my desk and goes, you better download all your, you know, personal files, music, pictures off the computer. because." They're going to take all your things away if they fire you. I'm like, so I did that downloaded all my pictures and files and stuff. And then 11 o'clock, I was actually on a meeting, a teleconference, uh, not with Japan directly, but I was uh, talking with international in Minnesota about Japan. Right. And sure enough in the middle of my meeting, you know, I've got the headset on, I'm talking 1120. I'll never forget the time. I look over and there's like the entryway of my cube is my boss and human resources. And they're like, Chris, come here. Ah. So long story short, uh, an hour later, I was home with my cardboard box. I was let go. I was fired. But And that day they let go 500 people in one day. I had never experienced something like that before. And, you know, of course I went through all the cycles of grief. I, I was in denial. I was in shock. I couldn't believe this. And on top of that, like I said, just a month earlier, I had negotiated myself out of a job with another company. So I'm just like, bang in my head going, why didn't I take that job? Now here I'm out. Now I don't even have a job. And so, you know, getting back to what is your dream? What is your why? That was the last thing from my mind. All I could think of is I got to get a job. I mean, it wasn't about a dream. It wasn't about a why, but what I want to share with you is I, I was focused, and this is the number one thing, whether you have a dream or not, if you focused on something, there's a thing in your brain, it's called RAS, uh, reticular activation system. And it's just a fancy psychological term of of our filters in our brain, where we filter out information we don't need. So for example, Uh, let's say you're thinking about buying a, you know, an Apple watch. So you're thinking about it, you're starting to research it. And then all of a sudden you notice everyone has an Apple watch or maybe it's a new car. You want to, you know, you're thinking about buying a, a red car. You're thinking about it. And all of a sudden that's all you're noticing is red cars. Now those watches, those cars were always there. You just never noticed them. But once you start to focus on something, your brain will tune in and your energy flows to that. And then the next thing is when you focus on something, if you put in massive action, you will achieve that goal, whatever it is, whatever you're focusing on. And then number three, there's grace. And I, I'll talk about this later of you, some people call it luck. I think it's grace. I think it's from God that enables you to achieve the things you set out to to do. So for me, it was like, I got to get a job. So I'm like, that was my job to get a job. Right. Uh, and I interviewed at several companies in LA, but they were companies in Japan companies, and these were high level positions. And I remember several times, three or four companies I'd get to the end stage of the interviews. And then I wouldn't get the offer. They would always either hire a Japanese person or someone locally in Japan. And I'm in LA. So I thought, you know, I need to go to Japan to get a job. And so this was six months later, I think. And I had enough mileage, uh, saved up, you know, airline mileage. So I used mileage got a free ticket, came to Japan. This is January 2013. And I remember the day I arrived in Japan, They hit, there was this huge snowstorm and I had interviews in Tokyo and I was stuck in Chiba. I could because they closed down the the uh, trains. It was crazy, but anyway, I made it to Tokyo. I was here for two weeks. I had 10 interviews. And before I came, I said, I'm getting a job in Japan. I know if I can interview in Japan with Japanese company, I will get a job. And lo and behold, two weeks later, I got a job. I got an offer. And it was a great offer, great salary. Again, signing bonus, relocation, no education, no tuition for the kids. But that was okay. I got a job. So... Uh, I just wanted to share that story with you because when you focus on something, even if it's something you need, your dream, you're going to achieve that goal. Your brain, your actions are going to move towards that. And so for me, even though I didn't really know my why, I had this inner desire to come back to Japan. And sure enough, after I was fired, I was back in Japan seven months later. So, okay. So this week, starting a business. Okay. you know, what are we going to cover review a little bit mindset that we talked about last week. I'm going to share with you the three basic types of companies you can, you can uh, build in Japan and my recommendation of what's the easiest one to do in the beginning, uh, what type of visas you need, and then what are the tax implications? Okay. So review, we've talked about this a little bit. What is your dream? What is your, why I shared my story Uh, Again, guys, just work on those and I'll I'll provide some more tools. Again, writing writing what your dream is, what is your dream job, your dream pay, and what is your why? What is your purpose? If you're clear on those two things, you can achieve pretty much anything you put your mind to. Okay, let's jump into this. Three types of companies. So the first type of company, which is the easiest company to make, is a sole proprietorship okay and it's called kojin jigyo in japanese uh this is the, the company that i have in japan the second type of company is called a gold gaisha or gk sometimes you'll see companies with gk after it and this is called like i said gold gaisha it's like uh it used to be like a limited liability company. And then a few years ago, I think it was like 2006, Japan changed it and made it easier. And so now you're seeing more and more of these, what we call gold gaishas in Japan. And then the most common form of a corporation, a limited liability company in Japan is the Kabushiki Gaisha, KK. I think about 90% of companies in Japan are KK. Now... A lot of people will tell you when you start a company in Japan, you have to make a KK, a Kabushiki Gaisha. And I'll show you why you don't need to. But the reason they say that is it's credibility. And if you don't have a KK, companies won't trust you. Well, I've been in business for four years, and the trust is not an issue. If if you have uh good referrals and you know good presentation skills that's usually not an issue and again if a company that you're dealing with says you need to be a kk or i won't deal with you that's okay then don't deal with them you probably that's probably a red flag that this company is difficult to deal with because i've dealt with companies like that before so what's the difference Basic differences between a, a KK and a GK, they both only require one yen of minimum capital to start the company. Now, do people open these companies with one yen? Not usually. They usually at least 100,000 yen, sometimes a million yen. Um, if you want to have a company to where you actually sponsor visas, or let's say you want to be a recruiting agency, then you need at least five, 5 million yen in capital. And so the liability, both of them are the same. The liability towards creditors, you know, if you get sued is just the amount of equity you have in the company. So when you form the company, you determine, uh, based on what your capital investment, let's say, let's say it's a million yen. You're going to put, Put a million yen in your company as capital. Then you determine what your stock price is. Now this, you're a private company, but million yen, and you can say your stock is you. You could say it's one stock, a million yen, and as the director, you own it. Or you can break that up any way you want if you want to have other investors in your company. But for for governance. They're pretty much the same. They just have different terminology. So for a Kabushiki Gaisha, you need what we call a Torishimari Yaku, which is your managing director, the CEO, which can be one person. The CEO can be the director and the shareholder. Uh, But you have the option of having a CEO and separate shareholders. So what some companies do in Japan that are Kabushiki Gaisha, because auditing requirements are pretty strict in Japan, is that some company owners in Japan will actually not be the CEO. They'll actually hire someone to be the CEO, but they're the shareholder. So then as a foreigner, sometimes they'll get a Japanese person to be the CEO um, and let them deal with the banks and the audits and the financial accounting and all that. Godo Geisha, is the same setup. It's just called... different. You're called partners and everyone is invested. Everyone is a shareholder. So whereas, like I said, in a Kabushiki Geisha, you can hire a CEO or or director of your company that doesn't own any stock. They're more like a, a consultant, like on your board of directors. For publication of financials, a Kabushiki Geisha is required once a year. You have to uh, disclose your books. to kaisha is not required. The setup cost, these are the basic setup costs for registering your company. Uh Geisha is about 200,000 yen plus your professional fees. So it, you can do it yourself, but all the documentation is in Japanese. So you usually need, it's a specialized lawyer. It's like an accountant lawyer that helps you set up companies and they'll they'll charge you. and They'll charge you anywhere from 100,000 to three hundred thousand, so this could be, uh, like I said, up to five hundred thousand, depending on how much a lawyer charges you. Go to same thing, but it's cheaper, hundred thousand yen. You can have someone set it up for you. Um, I almost did this, so I actually um, was negotiating with a, a Japanese account tax lawyer in Japan and. And they were going to charge 100,000 yen total to set up the whole company, including the company seals, the honko, And I'll explain that a little bit later. So that was a great deal. Um, But for reasons I'll explain later, I decided not to do that. Um, One here, taxes are very high. Corporate taxes in Japan, extremely high. 34, you know, 35%. So all your profit. You get taxed thirty-five percent. Now, like I said, there's this idea that the GK is less credible than the KK. But it's interesting: Apple, Amazon, Walmart, which is Seiyu in Japan, uh, they're all GKs. So a lot of the newer companies are actually GKs in Japan, um, and I don't know why. It, maybe because for them it wouldn't. The cost is not an issue to set it up. Um, but there's some other factors I've heard that maybe it for like letting people go, restructuring is a little easier with a gold okay. But for us, for you know, a single company, two or three people employees, that's not an issue. So it's complicated because here both KK and GK require. Company seals and it's three hunko It's a square, a circle, and a double circle. and It is complicated, right? Which seal do you use? One is for banks. One is for, uh, you know, these different types of documents. And so, but like I said, if you have an accountant set up your company for you in Japan, their hundred thousand yen or two hundred thousand yen, whatever they charge, usually includes this. So they'll set this. They'll they'll order and register the SEALs for you. Um, Once you've done that, then you have articles of incorporation. So it's several pages. It's your bylaws. How do you pick directors? It's very complicated. So again, that's why you need a specialized accountant to do this for you. And it must be notarized. And notarizing documents in Japan is kind of complicated. So that's why it's good to have a professional do it for you once you've notarized your articles of incorporation, then you need a business bank account. So you take that to the bank account with your seals that are registered. And then um, it takes a couple months for the bank to approve you. But then once that you've opened the bank account, a business bank account, then whatever you've declared what your capital is, whether it be one yen, a million yen, five million yen, then you have to transfer that money into the bank account. Now, one thing that I didn't know in the beginning was I thought you couldn't touch that money. You know, if I put five million yen in my business bank account, I thought I had to sit there and I couldn't use it. That's not true. Um, you can then use that money to fund your business. So. You just need that amount of capital to open the company. And then that's what your equity is based on. Okay. Um, Here's the reason why I decided to go sole proprietorship. If you form a GK or KK, the managing director, the CEO, which is required, uh, you have to declare their salary. And then... Of course, that becomes an expense, but whatever that salary you declare, you can adjust it for one year. You can only adjust it once a year. Um, and so when you're starting off a business, you're really not sure how much you're going to be making. So that this is just like a shot in the dark. It's like, OK, if I'm going to be making 10 million yen over the next year, what should my salary be? And then whatever you determine your salary is, that's what you pay tax on. Um, but then that salary is minus your income from your, your business income, okay? So it just seemed kind of mendoxai for me. So, and also uh, dividends. So there's a 20% withholding tax on dividends. So what do I mean by dividends? So let's say again, let's say you make 10 million yen in sales, you pay yourself 5 million yen. Well, the remaining 5 million yen minus your expenses, you know, whatever you have left over, you cannot use that money for personal reasons because that becomes salary. But you can't adjust your salary. So therefore, if you take money out of the company for personal expenses, then it becomes a dividend and you pay 20%. Which is lower than thirty four to thirty five percent on corporate tax. So that's there's strategies of people will actually pay themselves through dividends rather than pay tax on the profit of the company. so but that's where you need a tax lawyer for that. And then I didn't even want to deal with all that. So I decided I'll just become a sole proprietor. Now, being from the U S being in America, I'm kind of scared about that. Cause it's like, as a sole proprietor, then all my personal assets are liable. If I get sued, they can come after my house. They can go after everything. Right. But I'm thinking this is Japan. It's not a litigious society. I'm not worried about someone suing me, especially the clients that I work with. I have these great relationships with. So I'm like, The risk is low for someone to sue me in Japan. So anyway, what's cool about Kojin Jigyo is there is no registration procedure. Now, I'm going to show you, you do have to notify the tax office, but you don't have to notify them. You have two months, so you can just start your business, call it whatever you want, and then just notify the tax office within two months that you've started a business so I'm going to show you what that form looks like and then send it to you later. And of course, if you need help filling it out, would be happy to help you. So this is what it looks like. And you can go to the, you know, the tax office, Japanese tax office. Um, it's Japanese. There is no English version of this. So again, if if you want help, I can help you, but here it's, Basically, here you fill in whatever tax office it, you, whatever your jurisdiction is. this is where you would submit this. Um, you know, basically your address, your your name, whatever your legal name is on your your um, what you're registered in Japan with. And then, uh, this is Shokugyo. What, what is the industry? So I say consultant, girl, consulting, which I think is fine. You can do that as a teacher. You just say I'm a consultant, I'm a coach consultant. Everyone knows what that is. It's kind of it's a broad term. And then the name of your company, and then the name of your company can be in Japanese, it can be in katakana, it can be in English. So I I picked English and I called it Truter Consulting. Um, and then I won't go through all this form, but Basically, in the form you list, well, like right here, I'll show this. You list what activities, what are your services? And here I would list as many services as possible. Um, as long as they don't require a business license. And most things like here, I put uh, market research, eikaiwa, uh, shijo kaihatsu, market development, keizokiteki, continuous improvement, coaching. You know, all just basic consulting services. So you can put all those here. Now, uh, and then with your personal Honko, you don't need the official company Honkos, uh, but you do need a Honko. This may change in the future, but for now, you still need a Honko. So uh, you do need to get an Incon or Honko and it has to be registered. Okay, so that was that form. Like I said, you can start business. You don't have to submit that form until within two. Uh, you have two months to do that. And then you can use a commercial name. Basically, you can name it anything. As long as there's no other company name that's associated with the address that you use, then it's no problem. You just can't have uh, two companies with the same name with the same address. That's the only thing you can't do. Um, this is cool. So proprietary, you can hire people. So this is what I did. I hired a part-time teacher. Uh, he worked for me for about a year and a half. He, he left in January, uh, for personal reasons. And, uh, I paid him. Now he was also kojin Jiggyo. So I, I don't have to take out taxes or anything. That's up to him. So. Now, like I said, uh, there are business license required for some things. So if you're like a recruiting agency, uh, I tried to do this. I tried to offer my services as a recruiter to a company. And they said, do you have a license? And I said, no. And you know, so there are a lot of unlicensed recruiters in Japan and, and uh, uh, it's one of these liability things. So anyway, but unless, if you're an English teacher, a coach, a consultant, there's no business license required. Then of course, if you're not already, uh, but as an individual, a sole proprietorship, then you can join the, the national health insurance and the national pension systems, the Kokumin Kenko Hoken and the Kokumin Nanking. And lastly, again, as a sole proprietor, you own everything, all the, all the profits, all the losses, all the assets, all the debts of the business and you're liable. So again, if you're sued for whatever, uh, whoever sues you can go after your assets. but again, this is Japan, and you know the risk of getting sued is very low. so again, I recommend sole proprietor. This is where you should start. It's easy to set up, and then, as you grow your business, as you scale your business, as you you know need more employees, uh, then consider making an actual GK or KK in the future and, and paying someone to set it up for you. Okay. So for a, for a sole proprietorship, um, here are the visas that you can use. And this is kind of cool. So of course, if you're married to a Japanese national spouse visa is fine. If you're a long-term resident, permanent resident visa, or Even if your spouse has a permanent resident visa. So they don't have to necessarily be national Japanese, okay? So you can have a working holiday visa and form a sole proprietorship. And it's good until your visa expires. Here's some other visas. You could have a dependent visa. So a child student visa, culture activities visa with as long as you have the permission to engage in other activities and that's pretty easy to get. And that's up to 28 hours per week. So I think this falls into missionary visas as well. Uh, You can have a sole proprietorship. And then this is what is cool. Let's say you're already working for a company. Okay. You're, and you have a, an engineer or specialist in humanities visa. That's a very common visa or skilled labor visa, maybe you're a freelance translator, IT engineer. So you can have these, these what we call work type visas with companies. And with that visa, you can start your side hustle. You can start a sole proprietorship. Uh, Now, of course, you may have contract limitations with the company saying you can't do anything outside, but that's actually against the law. So that's another, another issue. If a company even if you sign a contract says you're not allowed to do any like activities outside the company to make money, it's actually against the law. Um, But you don't want to get in a lawsuit with your company, but anyway, make sure you don't uh, have those types of contracts. But anyway, uh, it's pretty flexible. As long as you have all these visas, um, you can start a sole proprietorship. And for me, my wife's Japanese, I don't have long-term residence, but I have a spouse visa. So, okay, now this may get a little boring, but this is the other reason why I like sole proprietorships is the tax implications. Now, now, what whatever type of business you have, you're taxed on income, not sales. Okay, so this is different. And this goes back to the mindset, you know, fixed in growth or... Also, we talk about, do you have an employee mindset or an owner mindset? Because if you're starting your company, you need an owner mindset, a CEO mindset. And, you know, let's say your salary, let's say you're making 5 million yen a year. And you're taxed on 5 million yen a year. And, you know, it's actually pretty high taxes in Japan after your insurance, you know, the taxes and the pension and the local tax, you know, it's, it can be pretty high. Uh, But the beauty about starting your own business is that let's say I make, I start a sole proprietorship and my sales is 5 million yen. I'm not taxed on that. I'm taxed on my income which is sales minus business expenses. So now I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, what's a business expense. Okay. Well, just about everything is a business expense. You can claim it as a business expense. It's a little more, it's definitely more gray than the U S. So for example, let's take your home office. So in the U S if you've done your U S taxes and you claim a tax deduction on a tat on a home office. It technically the you know the IRS is that office has to be dedicated for office only and if it's not you can't deduct it, right? Japan there's no space. It's not realistic. And so I consulted with an accountant on this and I said, "Well, I use, you know I, I live in a three bedroom mansion in, in Tokyo." and I said, I was calculating the square the, the footage of one room. You know, I was trying to figure out, okay, what percentage do I use it for, for business? And he said, three bedroom. He says, you can deduct a third of your rent and a third of all your utilities. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it's, we, that's, that's common. He's like, you can even deduct a hundred percent. He's like, but that gets, you know, that'd be a little hard to justify, but it's like, so that's what I did two years ago. Last year I deducted 50% because I was actually using two rooms, two offices. My wife started working and she was helping. And so, you know, and now, you know, with zoom, it may be a little different, but let's say you have students come to your house. Let's say you, You're teaching at your house. Again, you're using those rooms for business. So it's not an issue uh, to deduct at least a third, up to 50% of your rent and utilities for business. But this is the Japanese version of all the business expenses that you can deduct in Japan. Uh, Again, this like, for example, utilities, travel, Data, you know, your phone, your cell phones, faxes, if you use faxes, advertising, right? Uh, Taihi. Now, Taihi, this is a big one. Taihi is entertainment and meals. And so in Japanese law, and this is where I, I save a lot of money, because as a sole proprietor, I'm head of household. My wife is an employee. So we deduct, when we eat out at restaurants, we deduct that as a business expense because if we're talking business, it's a business expense. So, um, and the beauty of that is you can deduct for meals and entertainment, you can deduct up to 8 million yen as long as your sales are under 100 million yen. Well, I'm nowhere near that. So, you know, 8 million yen, it's no problem. You know, I fall way under that. But again, whenever we eat out, I expense that uh, as a business expense. Now, if you know, we go to Disneyland or whatever with the kids and stuff, I don't expense that. Um, But what's interesting is in that list of business expenses, one of the expenses is uh, employee welfare for like trips and stuff. So if you go on a trip, you can, claim that as an expense. So again, it, it's what's reasonable, you know, and then what what was your conscience telling you? Uh, But there is a lot of flexibility in business expenses that you can write off